of knowing. All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 229. Jason Lingren is with me and Eileen McCusick. Uh, we're going to be talking about a thing that relates closely with cymatics. Um, we're going to talk about healing using, I don't know if I'm going to use the right words here, frequency, vibration, sound, these types of ideas. They all interrelate. Anyhow, welcome, Jason. And a wonderful good morning to you. Yeah, we're a day away from the solstice, which is tomorrow. Uh, so I'm going to go out and do a few things for sure tomorrow. Uh, it's going to be a big marker. There is also an eclipse somewhere in the world, not for us, but that's unusual uh, on a solstice day. Two unusual solstices this year. But anyhow, do you have anything or should we jump in? Oh, I think we should jump in. All right. Welcome, Eileen. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for uh, for turning this around. It's pretty short uh, from the time we met to now was a pretty short turnaround. So thank you for doing this. Uh, let me get my notes up here. So um, I'm hoping I learn a whole bunch here. And when I went to check you out, I immediately noticed you had some really cool videos on cymatics on your site. And what I noticed about what I have been claiming is true of cymatics, and you might have a point of view on this, is what we tend to see in pure tones that are probably more better applicable to the human body is a lot of de detail in the cymatic pattern. But in one you had, there was all this well-defined detail, but waves rolling over the whole geometry and just looking at it was calming. Um, but where would you like to jump in here, Eileen? Well, we can talk a little bit about the somatics frequencies that I have posted on my YouTube channel, since those were the ones that you were watching. Uh, I've been using tuning forks therapeutically since 1996, and I developed a sound therapy method called biofield tuning, which is essentially a process of using pure coherent tones to settle down our body's electrical system to get the noise and resistance out of our electrical system so that um, we experience ourselves as clear and, and in a state of flow. And over the years, I've worked with many different frequencies and uh, had quite a number of different prototypes created based on my research around numbers and sacred geometry and frequencies present in the Earth's atmosphere. And I'm friends with John Stuart Reed, who created the Cymoscope which is a device that puts sound frequencies into a dish of water and records the patterns that are created. So each frequency generates its own unique pattern. And it's a really fascinating way to look at how these frequencies might be impacting our bodies because our bodies are mostly water. And so if you Im imprint a tone into the body, it's going to give rise to patterning in our own water. So we want to choose to input frequencies that we see create coherent, beautiful patterns, um, because that's going to create coherence and beauty in our own body. And cymatics is just a really neat way to look at that. So I'll ask you flat out. We've had a number of naturopaths, homeopaths, doctors trained in Ayurvedic, uh, Eastern medicine types, and they're all of a mind that a better way to define what we call things like the flu is electromagnetic in nature and misdescribed in the idea of germ theory, which implies um, that that I'm, I'm guessing that the biofield you're talking about is similar to that idea. Yeah, the biofield is our is really our 
most living part of ourselves. You know, I look at it as it's our inner light. It's our electrical system. So when you're alive, this, this light is present in you. It's moving your body. It's, you know, enabling you to think and speak and all of that. Uh, when you die, your body is still there, but your light is gone. Your light has gone out, which means that our electric body is our primary sense of self. And that we, I've learned that we want to take care of our electric health. And, you know, it's an interesting thing because I think this electric aspect of our body has been really hidden from us. You know, it took, took a long time for me to, to see it and to understand what was going on because we've all been sort of conditioned to not see the forest for the trees. We get that our heart is electric. You know, most people get that. You get an EKG. It's measuring the electrical activity of your heart or your brain waves are electric, right? That's an EEG. Some people know that our bones are crystalline structures that make electricity when they compress or that our blood carries a charge. These, these bits are all part of a larger electrical system. And so we are electric. We are electronic. And as such, you know, we are affected by electricity in our environment. So, you know, if we don't see that we're electric, we don't, we won't necessarily understand how we might be impacted by electricity. I'm with you all day long. I think it's among the most hidden aspects of the reality of this place, both cymatics. It is darn near impossible uh, to get things on cymatics that are worthwhile. Uh, The things you can get tend to be old. They're not well described. Half of them are not labeled. And it took me half a lifetime to realize what I state now is that there's only one force in this world. It's electricity and by proxy electromagnetism, which is the idea of the sun and the moon, which relates to directly what you're saying. How I got there is a bit different, I think, than how you got there. What I began to realize is come up with a force, come up with a a car, a vehicle, an engine, anything in this world that will work without electricity. And you can't do it for the most part in the things that we use. And that's what started me on the path to look at it. But I mean, what we're basically saying is we're really electric beings, aren't we? We're electric beings in an electric environment. Absolutely. I mean, when, you know, and we, we all know the bits and pieces of this, right? And we look at like, you know, the electromagnetic spectrum, that's all there is. Like, Okay, that that's there is electricity, right? It's all light, and it's all and it's all waves moving through. You know what I believe is the ether, which has also been taken out of our internal cosmology, you know, and replaced with the empty vacuum of space. And then we're told, oh, light light waves don't need a medium to travel through. Like what? That's like saying ocean waves don't need an ocean to travel through. Yeah, thanks, (laughs) thanks, Einstein. We're told all this nonsense uh, that we believe that's illogical, and then it, it electrically disconnects us. I, this is what I found in discovering this and speaking to people about it, is that there's this big gap in people's awareness where they just don't get it. You know, it's it's I- irony to say the least. There were a lot of people that were marginalized that I suppose we could refer to them as electrical savants uh, who were saying all these things about electricity. And one of the main things they were saying is that at the highest reaches of our universities that teach like an electrical engineer, they're not teaching the whole thing. And if they did, it would create a situation where they understood how every wave moved. Those were some of the comments, uh, that we were hearing. And I think people know who I'm referring to. I'm not dropping the name because the man's been beat to hell enough. Um, but th- these things, it's coming to be true. And what you, I think you were referring to there is Einstein coming on the tail of Mickelson and Morley, who proved uh, beyond doubt 
in a in a in a process in an experiment that anyone could replicate. Uh, but there's no movement here in terms of spin. And the other thing is that there is in fact an ether. And Einstein shows up, says, "Guess what, guys? Ain't no ether. I'm not going to give you an equation, an experiment. I'm just going to make the dictate." And what's ironic about these things is. Apparently, before what I call the modern era, maybe in front of 1911, um, things got different. Before that, all these other things were known that we're just now getting back to. Jason recently dug up a medical text from the 20s where they're telling you the truth about a flu. And they're saying how embarrassing it is. The idea of masks and all these things are completely nonsensical, and they knew it in the 20s. Um, so basically, I don't know if you agree with me, but it kind of feels like we're getting back to what was pretty commonly known at the end of the 1800s. Yes. I mean, I, have you guys read the book, The Invisible Rainbow yet by Arthur Furstenberg? I, I haven't yet, but I, I'll tell you what, like five or six people have recommended it to me. So it is on my list. Yeah. He goes into great detail about how prior to the um, man-made electrification in the environment, uh, there wasn't even such a thing as a flu. It was very, very, um, like, not diagnosed often, let's put it that way. And that as soon as they started putting in telegraphs and sonar and radar and wires and all these things, um, each new wave of electrification, man-made electrification, brought on or, you know, seemed to bring on these waves of pandemics. And that it is actually the symptoms are a consequence of electromagnetic poisoning to the system. And some people uh, adapt more readily than others. So, you know, people who are already compromised and already exposed to other kinds of pollution are going to be more likely to be affected by electromagnetic pollution. And to claim that introducing 2000 man-made frequencies into our environment is harmless is <laughs> complete insanity. It's so illogical. I, I'm with you, and we're beginning to see a pattern here. I can't tell you how many emails I get in a month of people beside themselves because when all this lockdown went on, the speed at which 5G went in, a lot of it epicentering at schools where the young people are. So if you consider that people, a lot of people in the world have been locked down away from the sun, not getting the sun, which is nourishing, which we need, um, being in distress because they've been confined, and as we get into the fall here, all these new 5G frequencies, uh, it's quite astonishing the result that that might create. And by the way, for the most part, if you talk about any of this, even as we are doing it as grown adults in an informational conversation, uh, almost all of it is being pulled from online. But Jason, you want to get in here? So where do you think they started skewing things, Eileen, from, like we were saying, the 1920s, they seem to still have a clue what do you think developed in Western society and all that to start skewing it away from these ideas of how things were being presented to what they did to us now? And I, I see a lot of it as being the development of electronics and electric technologies and all that. I think that, you know, when, when we grew up in school, we never learned about Tesla, did we? You know, they, they took Tesla out of the history books. And, um, you know, as far as I understand it, Tesla figured out a way to harness electricity from the ether and the plasma, you know, the ambient energy all around us because we live in a sea of energy. And he wanted to give it to people for free, didn't he? Yes, he did. Oh, and so here we go. Let's just remove plasma, ether, and Tesla from history. So nobody knows about that. And we can get stuck in internal combustion. 
Well, we also set up for the year 2020, don't we? When we begin to remove the idea of cymatics, the idea that people are, or human beings, I should say, are basically electric beings, that the main force here is electricity, that the sun is electric, um, mm -hmm. what the electrical savants have said, when you see all these things swept under the rug, it gives you a new view of the year we're in now. Um, yeah. With all these frequencies coming online that were first created, by the way, as weapons, basically crowd control yeah. weapons, things like this. And these are being openly put in our neighborhoods. And anyone who wants to question it is being stomped out. As a matter of fact, I will run what we're doing now is our one on YouTube. But just what we've said here may be enough to get it stomped out, which is why we run backups everywhere. But, uh, you know, when we look at what's been swept under the rug, uh, we could almost say almost everything that's been misdescribed or hidden has to do with electricity, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. And and frequency, too, because when I, I started uh, researching for a master's thesis back in 2010, and I was trying to find studies um, on sound and frequency and really couldn't find anything. I, and I was so astonished by the dearth of available research on the effects of frequency on the human body and things like PubMed and things like that. You know, I, I could find stuff on ultrasound and infrasound, nothing in the audible sound range and nothing that was adding up to how I had observed sound was affecting people. There's stuff on music, but that's different. And then I realized that the military has been doing all the research on this stuff and keeping it hidden. Well, there's <laughs> how many places in the world can you go see a rock that appears to be too large to move that we currently understand the largest cranes we have couldn't move it? Um, I've read accounts, uh, old Eastern, old Buddhist, and there's claims, and I can't verify them, but the claims are that those massive rocks were moved with sound. Um, yeah. that's, that's the claim. And knowing what I do now about cymatics and um, all the things that have to do with things we're talking about, I think maybe it's possible. I'm not going to dismiss it. I can't prove it's correct, but it sure is an interesting idea. And I wonder well, if it's true. Yeah, I mean, we know that sound waves have levity like that they travel that they bounce up if you ever sit and listen to a steel drum band you can feel the levity in your body <laughs> you can feel the energy going up i'm sure there's very clever ways to harness sound waves to levitate things i mean there's there's evidence all over the place like the coral castle guy you guys probably come across him and his cone-shaped you know rocks that he held and they found similar cone-shaped rocks around other megaliths so, yeah, I absolutely think that sound has been used to levitate and move, you know, monoliths for sure. Well, what I what I found in cymatics, which apparently you can't find online anymore because I went looking for it, was people were doing cymatics with a viscous liquid. You know, most people are familiar with you take a plate, metal or glass, and you put a frequency into it and you put sand or some medium. But they were using a viscous, almost oil-like uh, medium to make the cymatic patterns and what they did is they put it vertical so it's laying flat like a table with a cymatic pattern being made in the viscous material oil we'll call it they put it vertical and as long as the frequency is in it the cymatic pattern holds to the plate they would click it off and of course all the liquid would begin to melt down off the plate and they click it on it would jump right back up into the same pattern then they took it and turned it upside down so the cymatic pattern was on the table face up being a cymatic pattern. They turned it upside down 
clicked off the frequency and it began to fall away. And as soon as they clicked it back on, it jumped right back up onto the plate upside down. And that's why I think there's something to the claim. And as you pointed out, uh, the movement of waves. But how about if we jump into what you do? You provided us a whole list to try to inform people about the ideas that you are trying to bring back around. I suspect what you're doing was probably done openly in the past and quite a bit was known about it. Do you think that's probably correct? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, in my research, you know, I, I've I love to read and I love to research and I've availed myself to many, many volumes of, of all kinds of books. And absolutely. I mean, the 1700s, you know, they started experimenting with electricity and even like around the turn of the century, the, the 20th century, you could buy electric devices for your health out of the Sears catalog. Yeah. You so, know what? Come to think of it, there were tons of them, weren't there? I know what you're saying to be true because a lot of them were later called quack devices, weren't they? Yeah. 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 And, the, you know, there were a lot of people, even one really notable guy, he was a professor at Yale, Harold, Harold Saxton Burr, was studying the electric nature of life and the magnetic fields that surround living things. He called them L fields. And, you know, he had meters on trees all over the Yale campus and, um, you know, was really coming to understand the the electrical nature of life. And especially he d- he was able to detect that uh, imbalances would show up in the field first before they showed up in the the actual thing that was, you know, in the field. But all of his work, and he was busy at Yale right through the 50s and even 60s, but everything, it was all put aside for for chemical medicine, for this idea of a pill for every problem. And, you know, for the last few generations, we've just been ushered into this primarily chemical and mechanical way of thinking about our bodies. So if something goes wrong in our bodies, then we need, you know, drugs or surgery to fix our chemical mechanical problems. We've had doctors on recently that says you can't find a pharmaceutical that's ever cured anyone of anything. And I always <laughs> wonder if that's correct, but I can tell you just from simply being aware of TV, the side effects often on most of those drugs are worse. You're trying to treat a rash and they're telling your heart or your kidney could be damaged. Right now, they are still pushing drugs and side by side running class action lawsuits against the very same drugs hmm. they're still pushing. So what you're what you're saying uh, is undeniable. But let's get into what you do. You've kind of roughly outlined what the human biofield is. So how do you go about tuning it? Well, with tuning forks, actually, <laughs> you know, the, the human body is an instrument. It's an electric, electronic instrument. And just like any instrument uh, or like car, you know, gets out of tune, so do people. And we get out of tune through non-beneficial inputs, physical, you know, stuff, environmental stuff, um, even the words of people around us growing up. And these cause areas of distortion and resistance in our electrical signal. And if we get a lot of dents and dings and places where, you know, we're flat here and sharp there and completely out of tune there and not playing here, uh, then our lives reflect that and our health reflects that. And our bodies are extraordinarily amazing in that they are self-tuning instruments. So what I do is I walk towards your body with a vibrating tuning fork. The primary fork I used is 174 hertz. It's not part of the Western musical scale. It's just a frequency that I've found over the years is particularly useful for this process that I call field combing. And I, I start from about six feet away from the body 
and I start to move in slowly. And what I'm doing is I'm listening and I'm feeling for noise and resistance, which I can hear and feel in the forks. And if it's a very strong area with a lot of dissonance, the person that I'm working on will actually hear it. So what I've discovered is that the human body is essentially everything is in motion. Everything is in motion, uh, gives off vibrations and these vibrations, these waves propagate away from us. And, you know, we've all had the experience of getting a bad vibe off of somebody, you know, because we felt it. Right. And so those vibes that are being put out by the body are very high frequency and very low amplitude. So we can't hear them, but what they do is they interact with the extremely high frequency, low amplitude overtones of the tuning fork. And then that precipitates down through the octaves into the hearing range. And what I've discovered in many thousands, many, many, many thousands of hours listening to people is that every emotion we feel produces a specific frequency signature that can be identified through the fork. Uh, Every pathology produces a particular sound. Like if I'm listening, if I'm bouncing sound off your right knee where you have arthritis, I'm going to hear a grainy signal come back. But if I bounce it off your left knee where you don't have arthritis, I'm going to hear a clear signal. If you've got fatty liver, it makes a different ping back. You know, if you're If your adrenals are racing, that makes a different ping back when I bounce sound and very intentionally listen to any part of the body. So what I've done over the years is I've actually mapped the human biofield. So the atmosphere around our body, which appears to be shaped like a toroid, a sphere with a central channel, a spiraling channel down the middle. This is the shape of our electric body, of all electric bodies. The earth also has a magnetic bubble around it that is bounded by our magnetosphere, allegedly. I know there's some flat earth people out there disagreeing, but you know, whether you believe in flat earth or round earth, or if this is just a realm, it's still all electromagnetic (laughs) when it comes right down and our bodies are electromagnetic. Yeah. So when I find these areas of distortion or resistance in the biofield, what I've discovered is that they're related to particular memories. And this was a sort of big discovery that I made while just exploring this environment, this tonal environment, this sort of hidden in plain view, this tonal landscape. And and I discovered that it had an anatomy and a physiology and that it had particular zones where particular tones would always show up. Like I discovered that every time the tuning fork was making a tone that sounded sad and, and anybody can identify these. It's like, I don't need to tell you when we're listening to a sad song. Like you just know it, right? And it's it's the same way with the tuning fork. So it's like music seeks to evoke this fundamental frequency language that we all speak. And the tuning forks sort of reveal it, almost like an invisible ink decoder. And and when we when we have a cloud of sadness around us, you hear that. Like you can hear it in the fork. It sounds sad. But the amazing thing about the human body is that when you stick a fork in one of these atonal zones, and the body's organizing intelligence hears itself, it goes, wow, I sound really bad. And like, it's like you've got a little person on an inner mixing board that suddenly starts adjusting knobs and dials. And you'll find yourself taking a deep breath and relaxing. And then all of a sudden, that area in your inner instrument that was out of tune has resolved. And now it's in tune. And the subconscious tension that you were holding there, maybe it was a traumatic memory, you know, bad input of some kind um, in your nervous system, has just released. 
And so all of a sudden you feel quieter inside and more relaxed. And so we systematically go through people's biofields, their electromagnetic bodies, finding these atonal areas that are creating resistance in the flow in the body. We release it in the field and it releases in the body. And so people relax, they breathe more deeply, they calm down. And very often, whatever symptoms they're exhibiting, um, you know, for example, we can take people who are in extreme pain out of pain in 20 minutes or less simply by applying this process to them. Uh, we can help people who've been depressed for years. It's just a tonal, it's a tone running in your body. It's like, <laughs> your body doesn't want to be that way. Your body is designed to be in tune. And so simply by finding where that information of that tone of depression is in your body, it's usually off the left shoulder and just letting the body hear itself. It's like my guitar is in tune and your isn't. Is your, and I'm giving you an E string and you're listening and you're like, oh, yep, you're turning your little, you know, dial and bringing your guitar in tune. The body does that itself with a simple tuning fork. It's really, it's, it's surprisingly simple and elegant. Is this a new field or is this something that you're rediscovering that people used to do years ago? Oh, I mean, sound therapy, the use of like sound as medicine, right? Has been in every culture across every millennia. Music, temple bells, chants, didgeridoos, drums, rattles. Allegedly, they're supposed to have used tuning forks in ancient Egypt, and there's a lot of evidence of sound healing and sound chambers and things like that in Egypt. When I first started exploring the area around the body with tuning forks, because for, for 10 years or so, I just did this as a hobby, and all I did was hold them right over the body. And I had interesting outcomes, and people liked it, and you know it was curious and interesting, so I did it as a hobby for a long time. But when I started exploring the field around the body, you know, I would get into an area of dissonance and, and I talk about having my own inner guidance system that works through what I call my male slot, M-A-I-L slot, which is right at the, um, <clears throat> where the atlas bone is at the base of the occipit lobe. And I feel like I, I have a little trap door there. And while I was working in the field and I'd hit a weird area, this trap door would open and like a post-it note would drop in and it would say something like, sadness, age 12. And so I would say to the person, did something really sad happen when you were 12? And they would say, yeah, that's when my grandmother died and we weren't ever able to talk about it. And, you know, I never really grieved that loss. Right. So what I, what I was discovering was that our memories, rather than like being in our brain, like we were told they are actually seem to be held in standing waves in this magnetic field around our body. It's like our own personal cloud storage system that we carry around wherever we go. And we view and experience life through all of the inputs, all of the memories, all the stories that we've ever experienced because it's all held in these standing ways. So I can find very, very specific memories and actually stick a fork in them. You know, that divorce you had 20 years ago, that was really painful. Let's go there. Let's listen and feel what that sounds like. And I, as a practitioner, will just witness that with you and, and hear and feel, because I can't help but feel those vibes are going through me too, informing me. But as, as we hold the fork there, because the fork is like a metronome, you know, it's like the steady, rhythmic, coherent input. Coherence, strong coherence will always overtake weak incoherence. And so that's what's happening. It's a strong, steady coherence of the fork is entraining the body's incoherence into a coherent expression. And that's health. When the more coherent we are, the healthier we are. I think it's 
important, particularly for this year, 2020, to point out, if I followed you correctly, you're, you're using relatively low frequencies. Things like 5G are very high. And so I think it's critical for people to understand the difference there. But as you were describing how you do it, twice in my life, uh, in a medical situation, I've been faced with tuning forks. Both times, they were the kind of small ones that you might tune a guitar or a piano with. So it's within the the medical or the uh, the musical scales of the Western culture. The first time was in the Marine Corps when I got shin splints super bad. They hit a fork, touched my uh, my shin, and, and you know you jump out of your chair. It feels like electricity just went through your splints. That's how they identify it. The other time was they took a fork and they touch certain teeth and they ask you, which ear do you hear it in? Where do you hear it in your head? But that is the only use with vibrational tuning forks that I've ever seen in Western medicine, which varies quite a bit from what you're explaining. But is yeah. it correct that you are primarily in lower frequencies? I think it's a key point. Yeah, mostly lower frequencies. You know, anything for me, anything above a thousand hertz, I don't get the feedback that I like. So the, actually the lower frequencies between 100 and 200 Hertz give the best feedback. Um, but to come back to your question, I'm not the first person who started using tuning forks for healing. Um, Fabian Maman is a fellow in California. I believe he started with them in the seventies. John Bolu started with them in the eighties and it's through his work that I got introduced to them. Jonathan Goldman is another person who was using them. So I was kind of like the next wave in the 90s of people who picked them up and started playing with them. What's unique about my work is that I work off the body. I work, you know, six feet away. I'm working in the biofield. Pretty much everybody else works on the body or over the body or around the ears. So, you know, this way of using tuning forks to basically evaluate and reset the nervous system isn't part of medicine yet. And yet it would be so easy for me to teach a doctor to take a tuning fork that he's already got in his office and show him a couple more ways to use them um, that just expand their usability. Are you saying the biofield six feet? <laughs> that has some meaning with uh, social distancing. And, yeah, and, and. Does, doesn't it? Isn't that interesting? Yeah, on average, most people's fields extend about six feet away from them. Um, if people are highly charged spiritual beings who are filled with a lot of light, you know, the light of source is deeply embodied in them. Um, their fields can be much bigger. If people are in a telluric, standing in a telluric current, also known as a earth energy line or ley line or dragon line, where there's a flow of electromagnetic energy, your field will become larger. If you are standing in the double layer membrane of a telluric current, you your field will become three times its size because you are immersed in so much natural electric energy there. And this is something that I've determined with dowsing rods because um, I like to play with that sort of thing. So and when then when people are ill, uh, then their field contracts. And then when you die, your field contracts all the way and like exits your body. You know, it's interesting that you brought up dragons. Here's another idea of uh, the truth being hidden, obscured, and basically misdescribed. Um, I've found many accounts where the dragon is simply defining energy. It's what it's doing. Um, in many of the Asian usages, uh, these ideas with the feng shui and things like that, uh, they're absolutely talking about energy. But look at what we've done in the West um, to mislead people. Oh, those silly Greeks and Romans, they had all these gods that they really actually thought existed. And I'm here to tell you, no, you've misdescribed. They were talking about aspects of nature. I think the dragon is a similar thing. 
But as I'm looking at the bullet points you lay down, I kind of feel like you've overlapped on some of them. So I wanted to ask you uh, what exactly electric health is, but I kind of feel like you overlapped that a bit in what you just said. Mm -hmm. Well, electric health is just the idea that if we take care of our electric body, uh, our electric body will take care of our physical body. Our bodies are batteries. And if you're fully charged, then your body is able to do everything that it needs to do. Everything gets taken care of. If your signal is clear and your voltage is high, you're going to experience health. And what happens is, you know, what we have an epidemic of is people discharging more than they're recharging, you know, giving more than they're receiving energetically and in all kinds of ways, repressing their emotions, which is, uh, although that seems to be changing in the Lately, our people seem to be expressing their emotions a lot more lately, but there's a lot of things that we do that drop our battery. And then, you know, we're so busy discharging and not recharging, giving our power away that we feel like we need to take all these supplements or, you know, things to, to help us. But that the supplements aren't feeding your electric body, you know, they're, they're feeding your physical body and it's your electric body that's low. And so when we, you know, Jerry Tennant, I don't know if you've come across him, Dr. Jerry Tennant, he wrote a book called Healing is Voltage. And he goes into great specifics about how much voltage the body needs in order to repair cells and that sort of thing. And he equates low pH to low voltage. And when I saw that, it was like, oh my God, there's like a, like a keystone of translation here to move us from chemical think to, to thinking electrically about our bodies that if we want to raise our pH in our body and create an environment where disease doesn't happen, don't have a lot of ways to do that. You know, a lot of it involves eating more green vegetables. And for people like me who are not a fan of vegetables, you know, never have been, <laughs> um, that, that makes it really limited. If I, if I don't want to add more vegetables to my diet, how, what am I going to do? But it turns out that there's lots of ways to raise your voltage, you know, by breathing more completely and fully and freely, which biofield tuning helps you do. Because think about it, you know, we can go for, some people can go for a really long time, weeks, weeks and more, and some people don't eat at all, right? We can go for a long time without food. So that's not where our primary life force is coming from. You can go for days without liquids. That's not where our primary life force is coming from. But we can only go for a few minutes without breath. And that's because oxygen, the oxygen molecule, as I understand it, has free electrons that when you inhale, those electrons bind to the hemoglobin in your blood. And it's the electrons that are getting dropped off at cells because we live in a plasma environment. We live in a magnetic environment like life. We are present in the sea of life. And when we breathe in oxygen, it is delivering electricity. That's why when you're you know, and we're places where there's a lot of free ions, right? Then you go to the ocean or a waterfall. It's invigorating because you're breathing in more electricity. So we run, our whole body runs on electric juice. So the number one way, you know, to, to have more energy and to raise your pH is to breathe more fully and deeply. And then to do things with your voice, you know, to hum, to whistle, to sing, to tone, to chant, all of that creates coherent energy and electricity and gets your breath moving. Certainly exercise when you when you compress your bones, they they, they make electricity. But even even mental and emotional things, my next book is called Electric Body, Electric Health. And most of it 
it's about emotions <laughs> because in all these years of observing people and their illnesses, what I've found is, is that the root of virtually every pain, ache, disorder that somebody has is the repression, the mismanagement of the electrical energy of a particular emotion. And, you know, most of us were raised in homes with kind of an abstinence only approach to emotions, right? Like stop your nonsense. And, you know, basically we were told our only option for most of us was to repress. And so we live in this very emotionally repressive environment where people are holding back sadness, holding back anger, holding back all kinds of things. And, and that is what the primary thing that creates resistance in our electrical flow is the mismanagement of emotions. Do the emotions have frequencies? Like you were saying earlier, yeah. sadness, and you could recognize a sad song, of course. Do those correspond to specific frequencies? Well, I mean, I wouldn't, I don't know that frequency is the right word. They have frequency patterns. They have tonal expressions. For example, there's many different iterations of sadness. So when I listen, you know, I'm listening off somebody's left shoulder, which is the part of the biofield anatomy where all the sad stories seem to be stored is in that zone. And I can go through your field and I can figure out every age because there's another part of this in the biofield that I observed. And that is that our, our memories move away from us as they're generated. So information I find at the outer boundary of somebody's field, and there is a, there is a double membrane, like plasma double membrane that defines the outer boundary of the field. That is gestation just inside that holds the record of birth. And then if you're 60 and I'm moving along your timeline, I'm about three feet away from you. I'm going to find memories that were generated when you were 30. So if I'm going off the left shoulder reading, I can, I can basically read the vibrational record of your life and I can feel and hear every time you were sad. But there's a difference between melancholy and loneliness and deep grief and like keening or wailing or depression, right? They're, these are all, they're all different notes. They're all different tones. They're all in the same tonal family, but they all sound a little bit different. There's a difference between, you know, rage and frustration. There's a difference between anger and disappointment. You know, there's difference between fear and anxiety and excitement. Like those are all in the same tonal family, but they're all I a little bit different. I, I want to back up for one second um, on what you had just mentioned previously. Um, I actually, part of what you said makes you wonder about the idea that Tesla was taking electrical showers, um, the idea of washing certain waveforms over your body in that way. But you mentioned pH, and I just want to put this on the record because Jason and I recently covered this. Most people forget what pH stands for. It means the power of hydrogen. And I think it's a key point you made uh, attaching the idea of pH to voltage. And the reason I think it's key is because we've had a number of very sound medical practitioners who are doing it the real way, the old school way, uh, will tell you that many people are sick, they're, they're acidic, and that so many things like soda and all the modern things we ingest make us acidic. So if your contention is correct, that's a key, key point. And I just wanted to make that point so we have it on the record. Yeah, and but it's not only soda right? That makes us acidic because have you ever like had somebody say something or do something and all of a sudden you just feel acidic in your body? You have an emotional response. Like you can eat clean all you want, but if you keep going into emotional states that lower your voltage, it won't matter. Hmm. Your, your electric body and the tones that it's expressing 
are more primary and more powerful than what you're putting in your mouth. You know, it's when you put it that way, it makes me think of musicians, right? Who who has ever met a professional mu- musician that doesn't have that different vibe, right? They're constantly yeah. playing music. They're constantly in the frequencies and the vibrations of what they're doing. But most of the time, you're never going to describe that mu- mu- you know musician as the stiff guy who can't get along in society. Usually, it's more the happy-go-lucky mellow dude or mellow woman. Absolutely. I met Herbie Hancock uh, in 2017 and he was 78 at the time. Okay. And when I, I was astonished when I met him, like he looked 50, he looked 50. And not only did he look 50, but we, we went to his concert, we got backstage passes and, and I got to talk to him at length about the power of sound to heal. But at the end of playing this incredible two hour concert, this guy pulls out a guitar and starts jumping up and down on the stage like he's 19 and he was 78. <laughs> like, what does that tell you about the power of sound to keep us healthy and, and to inform our electric body into its most highest potential? Now I want to reach out to old Herbie and ask him if he knows anything about cymatics. But anyhow, <laughs> go ahead, Jason. Well, what I was considering is the interaction of frequencies when I was bringing up the concept of sadness and all that, because the difference between, say, a major chord and a minor chord is only one of the notes in the triad of a half a step. Mm -hmm. That entire interaction changes the feel of the entirety of what you're hearing and what that's doing to your feelings. So I was wondering if there is a correlation with what you've uncovered doing this that relates directly to that kind of concept. Yeah, I mean, I th- definitely think that our bodies can express in what we call minor chords or major chords or, you know, but I also think we, are, we all have, a lot of us have stuck keys. You know, we have places inside our human instruments where, you know, we've kind of walled off our access to that experience and that expression. So, oh, you know, like think about people who, whose voice is high pitched and how they're always nice. right? Like they're not tapping into their anger or their rage or their deep core stuff. They're not expressing that. They're not resonating those tones. So if you're always up here and up really, you're, you're not, uh, that's not healthy. That's not an indication of any kind of health. So uh, really as human instruments, we want to be free to express every single note you know, that is available to us as humans. Like that's where health comes in, not just playing the nice keys or the things that sound pretty because that isn't authentic and, and it creates like a repression and a suppression. Well, that, that brings me around to the age old ar- argument of music. Although I contend that some of the things we call music in the modern era should probably be called something else because <laughs> they, they lack harmony and melody. And without that, I can't call it music. But my point would be if people choose their genre of music and it's like gangster rap or death metal or these really aggressive types of music. Um, do you think that's serving as a release valve or do you think that's negative input? Do you think one or the other is more likely? I think it's both. You know, if you anybody anybody ever asks me in either our question, I pretty much always say both. It is re- it is serving as a release valve. However, like in music therapy, how, you know, one of the principles of music therapy is resonance and entrainment. So if you're feeling agitated, we're initially going to play you music that matches that agitated state. But if we want to move you into a clear, present, 
contented state. We're going to change the music to reflect that. We're going we're gonna to slowly, you know, move the musical selection in that direction. Because if, if I play you, if you're really agitated and pent up and I play you something beautiful, you're not going to resonate with it. You're going to be like, get that away from me. You're going to want something that resonates with where you're at initially. But that isn't the medicine. Because it doesn't, it might give you a release, but it doesn't tune you into a different expression, potentially. Well, I would suggest, you know, you could base it on many bands, like the idea of the power chord from the rock era, when that came to be, there were entire bands that became world famous, still are world famous to some degree. Um, That punchy, overexcited, kind of aggressive driving guitar um, became the thing. But genderless, which is the important thing. Right. Yeah, that's the other thing, of course, that the, uh, it became androgynous at some point. But it always reminds me of an 80s movie called Footloose, mm-hmm. um, where they they portray the preacher as this stuffy old guy who's ruining all these young people's lives. But in one scene, he tries to tell his daughter, this classical music is complex. The harmony, the melody, everything that goes into it lifts you up to a higher degree. And all this stuff you kids are listening to today is the opposite. Of course, the movie frames it to make the old preacher seem like a fuddy-duddy who's just ruining everyone's lives because nobody can have any fun. But therein lies the conundrum, right? Because in in one sense, he's telling the truth. But in another sense, he's ruining everyone's fun. To clarify, I meant that the chords are genderless, that they're not major or minor. A power chord is just two notes. It's a one and a five. It doesn't have that third in there to have the major or minor. I took it a step further because the bands became genderless after a while, right? (laughs) Well, that did happen. The power chord went to an extreme, but I think what you're pointing out for people who don't play music, and you made this point earlier, uh, a chord is defined as three notes or a triad. And what Jason was pointing out with a minor, whenever you hear a minor, it's melancholy, it's sad. Um, House of the Rising Sun, as an example, is played in A minor so that people have a frame of reference that don't play guitar or something. And what's happened there is of the three notes labeled one, three, and five, the second, or I think it's the three, I'd have to look it up, I hope I'm not messing it, is dropped one half of a step, just a half a step. And that's not much, but it is one third of the overall. So when Jason talks about the power chord, you've dropped one note from the triad and you've gone down to two to get that power plunge. But Eileen, we have just a couple, maybe one or two more ideas we can get into hour one, and hour one goes out everywhere. We'll have complete free speech when we come back, hour two. Is there anything you'd like to get in before we have you offer contact information if you choose to do that? Uh, Yeah, I can just um, give people my website if they want to learn more. Why don't you save that for the very end so it's easy to find? Are there some ideas that you'd like to get into hour one before we wrap up? No, but I will say that, like, I, you know, I was kind of hoping we'd talk about 5G in an hour two because we, we will. Believe me, we will. Okay. It's just, you know, I have to be, I, I have to be careful because I'm coming out with this book on electric health. Like, I'm coming out with the antidote to all this nonsense. And I'm concerned about me being attacked, especially around the 5G thing, because I do have a lot to say on it, but I have not made any kind of public statements or anything. Like, I don't, I'm not paranoid. But I just want to make sure that I make it through, deliver my message, that my book comes out, and that I don't get like targeted as, you know, a public enemy for revealing all of this in very clear terms to people. This, this is exactly why we have an hour two, because in hour one, the Googles of the world, the the social medias of the world, they will, in fact, 
come down on you and try to stomp you out if you say things they don't agree with. Yeah. The problem is, is we've had an adult conversation with here. We've harmed nobody. We've pointed out what 5G is. We've pointed out that it's going in like wildfire during this lockdown. We have a right to say these things. And yet it still ends up being the reason to put a strike on you, to take ads off a thing, to delete videos. Dr. Kaufman, I, I nary have a Kaufman video left because they've been pulling them. And this is a licensed doctor speaking as an adult that they are censoring. So what I'm telling you uh, is we touched on these ideas and that's why we have the hour two, because those people in hour two are invested in the conversation and it doesn't go out into the realm of social media or you know these places who want to exert their corporate might over us. But these are critical things and I'm glad that you wanna talk about it because I suspect as we go through the fall, it will be one of the biggest topics going, particularly if we see a lot of sick people. Yeah, no, I agree. We are going to see a bunch of sick people and they're going to try to blame it on COVID and want to use it as an excuse to force vaccinations. Right. But what we're saying now had better go over into hour two or no one's going to hear what we said in hour <laughs> one. Um, Jason, anything you want to get in? Well, we're at that time. So Eileen, why don't you tell everybody where to find you, your books and whatever else it is that you offer? Sure. Well, our website is biofieldtuning.com. That's all one word, bio, B-I-O-F-I-E-L-D, and tuning. You can learn about the method. You can see all the tuning forks we've got. We've got some great forks. Uh, I do audio biofield tuning sessions that you can check out. There's a whole archive of these hour-long sessions that you can listen to that uh, may help to help you feel better, all different kinds of things there. Uh, you can learn about tuning the human biofield is on Amazon, and electric body electric health is available for pre-order on Amazon. So do you have a membership at crow777radio.com? Not yet. Okay. So what you're going to do is email me um, after this, and I'm going to set you up an account. And what you can do is I'll email you the day this goes live, and you can go down into comments under the main episode, and you can put any links or interact with people there. Uh, I will warn you, the last few people we've had on that gave contact information were absolutely overwhelmed. But that brings hour one of episode 229 to a close. Join us over in the free speech zone, and we are going to get heavily into 5G because it may matter this fall. Crow777radio.com is the only true Crow site, and they're getting to be fraud knockoffs, defrauding, stealing money, data collect, all kinds of stuff they're doing. So the only true Crow site is CRROW777radio.com. Join us on the other side. Jason and I are providing basically three shows a week, two full shows and a live stream. So what it amounts to to be a member is less than a cup of coffee per show. It's a few cents on the dollar, actually. So we hope to see you on the other side. There it is, man. Cheers.
is the enemy of knowing. <laughs> 